0: to be able to worship Him in song and now to turn to God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We are going to take a break from our study in Ruth. we got one more chapter in the book of Ruth. Today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses really 14 through, uh, 14 through verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19. This is, I did share the article that I wrote for the Baptist Witness and hopefully some of you read that, that would be good kind of primer for this morning as we uh, look into it, we want to kind of take that and, and unpack it even more. Uh, this morning, and then we'll we'll get back into Ruth on the next time. But what an amazing passage we have! We're going to read it first, and then we'll talk about it as a whole, and then and begin to unpack it. Ephesians chapter three, beginning in verse fourteen. We read, "For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory." to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So as we look at the passage as a whole, the first thing we need to recognize about this passage is that it's a prayer. And just kind of as a side note, as you're reading your Bible, and and I hope you are reading your Bible on a regular basis, one of the first things you can do is just really kind of get the context. What's really going on? Well, this is a prayer because Paul says back in verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father. And he tells who he's praying to, um, to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole fa- uh, family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. So he says, this is what my prayer is when I pray for you for the Ephesians. So Paul, to, to know who Paul is praying for, you would have to go back to the beginning of the Ephesian letter where Paul says that he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So he's writing to believers. Um, he's he's writing to people who believe in Jesus, who Uh, understand the gospel and that's going to make this prayer kind of seem kind of interesting in places because he is praying for those who are already believers and so as we look at the at the whole prayer as a whole you can tell just by reading it there's a whole lot in in a small small little short um, three or four verses here uh, talking about the love of Christ talking about our comprehension of it the fullness of God, all of these different things all in a, in a little small few verses. So what we really have here is Paul, he asks for two things in verses 16 and 17. He asks the Father for two specific things. And then in verses 18 and 19, he gives two reasons for that. He said, okay, I'm asking for these two things for the believers, for those who are faithful in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. I'm asking for these two things. And here's why. Here's here's the purpose of why I'm asking for this for the believers. I'm asking God for these things. So that's kind of the structure of this prayer. And and then in those statements of purpose, we get a lot of truth that he just kind of unpacks for us there uh, about the love of God and the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. So the first thing that Paul asked for, we're going to start here. The first thing that he asked for is in verse 16. And that's to be strengthened in the inner man. So point number one this morning is strengthened in the inner man. Strengthened in the inner man. Now strength is a trait that a lot of people in this world seek after, right? Have you ever met these guys who walk around and their arms don't meet their their body, you know? They kind of walk like this. Um, we, we admire strength in our culture, um, and and that's not all, by the way, a bad thing. Uh, We love to watch athletic contests. We love to see feats of strength. It's been that way forever. You know, when the Olympics are in session, I don't know about your family, but when the Olympics are in session and they're having the Olympic Games, my family, we're watching the TV a lot. We're we're trying to catch up with all the different events, and that one's really neat because it kind of combines athletics and patriotism because we're cheering for the USA and you know, USA competing against other countries, so we get patriotic about it. Some people get more into it than others. Uh, some people have particular antipathy, antipathy towards certain countries. They might even have catchphrases about that, you know, about uh, different countries. So, But we we enjoy athletic competition, and, and strength is something that's admired in our culture. And I love um, that. It's not necessarily a bad thing for that, and we pray for that quite often. So while the the culture of strength, sometimes we get a little obsessive about it, but without strength, nations would fall, leaders would fall, personal health would diminish, Christians lose heart. All of those things happen when there's not strength in a culture, in a society. So even physical strength is not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know about you, but I want the United States to be strong. I want our country to be strong. I think that's a good thing. I want our military to be strong. And the reason why, I think it's very biblical, because I want our, our nation to be strong and our military to be strong because I enjoy religious freedom. I, I enjoy the fact that we're able to meet here this morning and worship as we see fit uh, without fear of persecution. There are countries this morning where they have to meet in fear because at any moment the government itself might come in and try to break up their worship service. So I like a, a strong country and... and the strength of freedom, all of those things are good. But that's not at all what Paul prays for. So think about your own prayers. I'll think about mine. You think about yours. And I think it will step on our toes a little bit because Paul doesn't pray about anything for physical strength in this particular prayer. There's places where he does in the Bible. But in this prayer, he doesn't pray for healing, for physical wellness, for anything. He prays for strength in the inner man. He says there's something that's really, really important and, and honestly and truthfully even way more important than physical health and physical strength is for the strength of the inner man. So he prays that that they would be strengthened in the inner man, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, he says this according to the riches of his glory. So he's praying to someone He's praying to God the Father who has the ability uh, to grant this request. So, you know, I think sometimes we forget that as well. We pray as though we're praying to God and, well, it might happen, it might not. We're praying to a God who can accomplish all his will. If it's within his will, there's no ask too big. Uh, and if it's not within his will, uh, it won't matter. It's not because he doesn't have the resources. It's because he, it's not in his will So God has an infinite supply of glory and power and majesty and all of the things that he would need to grant our request. And God grants uh, this inner strength in such a way that it's going to draw attention to his glory and his grace, not to us, not to the strong, but to needy people. So like like, uh, with human strength, you know, we we try to you know brag about our muscles getting bigger, or because we lift weights, or whatever it is we do to get stronger. The spirit glorifies God by the strength that comes through Christ, and that that strength is made perfect in weakness, which we're going to see uh, even in more detail later on. So, you know, regardless of how strong that you think you are, I love the way Brother Mike Stewart brought this out in his article on this section of the of the scripture. He said. Um, Regardless of the side of your biceps, your bank account, your intelligence, or anything owned by you, this strength is not only necessary but available to you according to his greatness and not your own. In other words, this strength that Paul is praying for in the inner man is not something you can buy. It doesn't matter how strong you are, it doesn't matter what you own or how big your bank account is or any of those things, this this strength in the inner man must come through the grace of God. So there's, there's not anything inherent to us that can bring it to us. And we will see that. That's an important part of this whole passage as a whole, that this is something that must be granted to us by the Lord, the ability even to see who Christ is. So uh, as we all know, uh, some by experience and some by the testimony of others, as, as we get older, our physical strength wanes, right? So the older we get, you know, we get more feeble, Strength begins to fail. Now, I'm, I'm not that far down the road yet, but, you, you know, it doesn't take long to start seeing that, that change. Um, I, I can't play basketball like I used to play basketball. I can't run like I used to run. I can't, you know, there's a lot of things that I can't do already, and I know that's just going to continue to just dwindle the closer I get uh, to the end of life. And so we all know that concept. But isn't it interesting that that's not the way it is with the strength in the inner man? Uh, The inner man gets stronger and stronger, and we will see that as we go through this passage. So wouldn't it be behoove us as church members, and it would be a great thing for us to pray for for each other, uh, that we would have strength in the inner man. So this kind of strength is the kind of strength that allows us to resist temptation and allows us to be more in the center of God's will. That's the kind of strength that Paul's praying for. For the Ephesians, we normally pray for healing or for strength of the body, but we should remember we should remember to pray for inner or spiritual strength for each other as well. So, uh, I know I would want you to pray that for me, and I pray that for you as well. That we would be strengthened in the inner man. Now, secondly, uh, Christ in you by faith. So, our second point is Christ in you by faith. And this one is really interesting. And this is where I said it's kind of important for us to note that Paul is praying for those who already believe in Christ. He's, he's praying to believers. So Paul's second petition for the Ephesians is that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. So let's look in the text. That's in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ with passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I wanted to tie all that together in your mind as we look at this one phrase, because from here on out, we really start to see Paul tie these things together. So, I guess my first question would be, um, do you pray for other believers in this way, that Christ might dwell in their heart? That, that's, that's something that we probably don't hear a whole lot. Because you know, we think, well, if they're a believer, Christ does dwell in their heart. And that's correct. That's right. So let me get that out of the way. That's true. Christ does dwell in the heart of those who believe. And, and certainly we know that those who are regenerated and converted, they're indwelled by the Spirit of God, and Christ lives in the heart of every true believer. So then why would Paul pray that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith? I'm going, to, I'm going to read to you uh, what John Gill said about this and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. He said about this indwelling presence of, presence of Christ in the heart, he said, It's as a king in his palace to rule and protect them and as a master in his family to provide for them and as their life to quicken them. It is a consequence of their union to him and it's expressive of their communion with him and is perpetual where he once takes up his residence he never totally and finally departs and i say amen to that so he he expresses the truth also that sin remains and opposes and rebels against the king in this palace so let's first just establish the fact that christ does live in the hearts of believers go to romans chapter 8 and verse 9 romans chapter 8 verse 9 but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So Christ lives in us uh, is clearly taught here in Romans. When we are born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence in our heart. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's, it's just an amazing concept to think about that the spirit of God lives in his people. And I'll just take a small sidetrack, and we're going to talk about this kind of as we go all the way through. There are those who teach, who go under the name Primitive Baptist, that that spirit can be dwelling in you and have absolutely no effect on your life at all, that, that you don't believe anything different, that you might be in a, a false world religion, you might not be living in a moral way that the Spirit of God can dwell in you and not see any outward effects of that in your life. And I say that's false. That is not true at all. That's not what we see in the Scriptures. And we'll see that even more exemplified as we go through this passage. So it is clear that Christ um, dwells in us, that the Spirit of God dwells in us. Galatians 2.20 is another example of that. You can write that down and, and look at that one later. And so you've all heard me use this example before, and I'm going to be really brief with it because I've really unpacked it before here a couple of times. So it's kind of like, and this is what John Gill used as his example. Remember he said it's as a king in his palace. So you kind of look at your whole life, (coughs) all the different areas of your life, as a big castle or a palace, and it has all these different rooms in it, and one of the rooms is the throne room. And so what, what is clearly established and what Paul is saying is that Christ is in the throne room. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then Christ sits on the throne of your heart. And, and that is absolutely clear. What is the battle is that there's a lot of other rooms in that in that castle. There's a lot of other rooms in the palace. Your Your work life, your family life, how you treat others. All of these different aspects of your life are kind of like different rooms in that castle. And the sad part is... It's like, just like John Gill pointed out, there's rebels who oppose the king that continue to fight. They don't give up. So when we're born again, the old man doesn't say, well, that's it. I'm done. Uh, I'm defeated. I'm just going to leave. He starts to fight. And so you would have Paul write things like, the things that I want to do, I do not. And the things that I don't want to do, those things I do. That is Paul clearly talking about this battle between the spirit and the old man. So, when when, uh, when Paul prays and says, I, I pray that Christ dwell in you, that um, when he prays that prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, he's really saying that he wants Christ to have more total dominion over our life, that that, that would continue to grow and those rooms would continue to be um, uh, just overrun by the rule of the king in our life, that uh, that defeated adversary who's going around trying to control more and more of our life would be defeated even more, that we would continue to uh, conform our lives more and more. So it's really the process of sanctification is what we would call it theologically. So sanctification is when you're born again and you become a believer in Jesus Christ, as much as we hate to admit it, that doesn't mean that we immediately are free from sin and free from the battles. Uh, that's not going to happen. So then from that point till the time you die, then you're going to be being conformed to the image of Christ. It's the process of sanctification. So the sad part is many times we are deceived uh, by the old man and, and by Satan himself, and, and we fall into sin. But I'm glad that, that Gil pointed out one thing. He said that, that that king that's sitting on the throne, that's permanent. That's not changing, right? Christ, I'm glad to believe that, that Christ doesn't come in our heart and then get run out. And then come back in and then get run out. There are those who believe that. I don't see how they ever have any peace at all. Because what they believe is if you fall in sin, then you are not saved. And you have to kind of get saved again. And then then you're back into the other category and back and forth. I'm glad that I don't believe that. Once Christ is on the throne, he's on the throne perpetually is the way that John Gill says that. So Paul is really asking here for the presence of the king to be made manifest in all areas of our life. Let's go to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six, verses 12 through 14. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. So what is is Paul saying here? You know, when you are born again, you are free and, and converted, you are freed from being a slave to sin. Now, here's what that means. That doesn't mean like we've already said, that you're not going to sin anymore. But it does mean that you have power over that by the Spirit that lives in you. So when we do that, we are willfully yielding ourselves to the old man. We have the power to overcome that, but we are willfully yielding ourselves to the old man. What a sad thing that that is. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. It's kind of the same picture that we painted with the, the palace or the castle and all the different rooms. Don't give up any territory. In in every way that you can, uh, yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So that's really what Paul is praying for here in this passage. Also Ephesians, we'll go back to Ephesians, but go over to chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So on a daily basis, is it true? So we go back to Paul's prayer. It's kind of odd because Paul is praying for those who already believe, who Christ dwells in their hearts, that Christ may dwell in their hearts. So how do we explain that? This is a good verse for that. Every day as a Christian, there's a putting on and a putting off that we need to do. We put on the new man, we put off the old man, and it's a constant battle. It's not something that's ever going to go away. I remember thinking when I was younger, well, you know, there's all these temptations as a teenager. When I get older, it's going to be easy. You know, you get married and you just kind of settle down and all that's going to kind of go away. That's absolutely not true, by the way. If any of you are thinking that, that is not true. And from what I've heard from those who are older, it, it never goes away. Until the time that we leave this, there's going to be temptation, there's going to be a battle with the old man until that last breath, and we are made perfect and made like Christ. So uh, that's something that we must do every day, and so that's what Paul's praying for, that we continually uh, understand and, and recognize the indwelling of Christ in our life and that we continue to expand the presence of that in our life. Now, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we mentioned this one earlier. My grace is sufficient for thee. You don't have to turn to this one. You probably know it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And the reason I included this verse, we talk about the front end of it a lot, but at the very end of that verse, there's the word rest that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And if you look up that word uh, in the original language, it means to take possession of and or live in the house. To live in the house. So isn't it interesting that when he's talking about his strength being made perfect in weakness, he talks about Christ descending, the power of Christ um, coming to and resting upon so Paul is praying for two things, remember, in this prayer in Ephesians. He's praying for strength in the inner man and for Christ to dwell. Well, in this verse, it says that the power of Christ may, and then that word rest, dwell in the house or dwell upon me, that that, that would not go away, that it would dwell on me, rest on me. So we see that same prayer there uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Um, so... He is praying that the Ephesian believers would be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit of God and that their lives would be more and more saturated with the power of Christ who dwells in their hearts by faith. And that word saturated, I think, is a a good one to understand the concept here that more and more and more as we go on as Christians, as we live our lives, that our life might be more saturated with the presence of Christ. And and I'll, I'll just add this, you know, when we come to church and we're under the sound of the gospel and we're singing praises, you know, that's that's a pretty easy time to be saturated with the presence of Christ in our hearts, isn't it? When is the hard times? It's when we're out in the world and somebody says something wrong to us at work or you know, they, there's just something or something in our family, somebody makes us ill. How do we react? Do we react do we react in a way that shows that Christ lives in our heart or do we react in a way that is con, um just very descriptive of the old man. That's what Paul is praying for, that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. So that last little phrase there, I want to mention this before we go on. Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. It is by faith that we are linked to, we have union with Christ and we understand that through faith. And that's going to become more important as we go on. That's why I'm not mentioning that a whole lot yet. We're going to get to that uh, in just a little bit. So back to our passage there in Ephesians uh, chapter 3. We'll go back and begin there in verse 17. So after he has said the two requests that he has, uh, he says, number one, that strengthen the inner man. And then the second request in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. This is kind of an interesting phrase. In this, So our third point is strong roots and firm foundations. Strong roots and firm foundations. So this phrase kind of seems somewhat disconnected in this passage. Really, if you study the passage, it kind of seems disconnected. If you go back to the original language, it is a separate phrase. It's this clause. And there's no way, even with the original language, to tie it to either what comes before or after. It's just kind of there. It's right in the middle. And to make sense of it, you have to really look at the whole passage as a whole. So Paul says, uh, like we said in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, it's kind of a parenthetical statement, "may may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. So what does this little statement mean? Well, like we said, he's talking about rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is an agricultural term. I think we all understand that. It's talking about the roots. Um, The way I think about it, the easiest way for me to think about it, is something I can see the roots of, right? You know, all these plants have roots, but if you walk up to a tree, you can see the roots sometimes. So we, we think about it more, and especially because a tree... Growing up very tall, it has to have a strong root structure or it would just fall down. So uh, a big, you know, tree, we think of a big oak tree or something that has a really extensive root system that's going down into the ground. And that root system does a couple of things. Number one, it brings nutrients and water and all the things that the tree needs to grow. And secondly, it it provides stability. It keeps the tree stable from, from falling over. So as the roots dig deeper into the ground, the branches are able to grow higher. If the roots don't go very deep and the the tree grew really high, what would happen? It would just fall right out. I mean, the first wind that came up, the tree uh, would fall down. So without the roots, the tree would not be stable and it would not be able to sustain growth. And I think that's exactly why that Paul mentions that in this context. Because what he's going to start talking about from this point on is our growth in in the love of Christ and that we comprehend and grow in, that we abound in the love of Christ. Colossians 2, verse 7, and turn there. Colossians 2, verse 7, it says, "...rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving." So the same terminology there, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. The concept of abounding, I think, is really very much what Paul is after in our text in Ephesians. That's what Paul has in mind in his prayer for the Ephesians. When he prays for them for inner strength and that Christ would dwell in their hearts, the, the overall purpose we're going to unpack two of the specific purposes but the overall purpose is that they would abound i think that's really we can narrow it down that much so paul has this concept of abounding in mind and as the roots get deeper trees grow taller and that's what he means by abounding that we would grow more and more in the faith and in the love of christ that's the desire of paul for the ephesians and for us today the believers today so the other word that Paul uses is grounded, and that same word is found in Matthew seven twenty-five. In Matthew 7, 25, if you don't know the passage, we don't have to turn there. You're going to recognize this story real quick. Do you remember the little children's song about the wise man built his house upon the rock? It's a children's song, but it's got a huge message, right, for everybody's life. And most of those children's songs are that way, by the way. But the wise man built his house upon the rock, well that word is the exact same word um in matthew seven twenty five. it says that house was founded upon a rock well that word founded is the same word that's used uh in ephesians chapter 3 so it's talking about foundations uh the passage in matthew teaches us the, necess- the necessity of a strong foundation you remember the story um the wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came and the winds blew and all of those things happened and that house stood firm. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand. He didn't have a strong foundation and when the rains came and the and the floods came and the winds blew, that house fell. And the scripture doesn't even stop there, right? It says, and great was the fall of it. it had a great fall. So any builder will tell you uh, the, the that... Foundations are extremely important. Any good builder knows that a strong foundation is essential. When I was studying this, I was remembering about our little project out back, you know, and and that's a that's a pretty strong foundation that we got back there. We had to pour that thing pretty solid, pretty good footings. And the reason why there's a baptistry in there, and when you fill that thing up with water, that's going to have a lot of weight. It's going to be a lot of weight. So the foundation had to be strong. Otherwise, we would spend all this money and build, and then we'd fill the baptistry up with water and the whole thing would come crashing down, right? It has to have a strong foundation. And the wise man in in Matthew 7, he built his house on the rock, and when the storms came, the foundation was strong. Well, we will not be able to abound and grow if our lives are not founded on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. So... Paul is saying, as we talk about abounding, I want to remind you about something. You need to be rooted and grounded. You need to have your roots deep. You need to have a strong foundation in Jesus Christ because we will not be able to abound and grow. We can't build up if the foundation is not sure. Um, The more more firm the foundation is or the further the roots go down into the love of Christ, the greater we will be able to abound in faith and love. So placing our faith in anything other than Jesus Christ is building on sand, and that'll just lead to a great fall. So that's his kind of sidetrack there in the middle that's important for us to understand because we're going to talk about abounding. Now fourth, the fourth thing that Paul's going to bring up, I think is probably, if I looked at the whole passage as a whole, I would say this is probably the key key concept and key verse of the whole, and this is the the purpose that he's going to get to for why he's asking for these things. And it's to be able to comprehend. So our fourth point is able able to comprehend. So back in Ephesians 3, going to our text, we see in verse 18, he says this about being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. So what is that we can see the love of Christ, what is the breadth and length and depth and height, all these different dimensions of it. So these truths about roots and foundations help us understand this first purpose that Paul uh, prays for the Ephesians, Um, the petitions he made on behalf of them. Both of the purpose statements, and this is a little bit detailed, but I think it's important for you to understand and to know, Both of the purpose statements that we're going to talk about, if you look in the original text, they begin with this little Greek word called henna. And I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but that word means in order that. So Paul is praying for certain things, and we mentioned this in the beginning, in order that this might happen. So he doesn't just pray for the end result, he prays for the foundational things that it's going to take so that these things will happen in your life. I think that's really interesting for us to think about in our own prayers. Do we always pray for end results? Or do we pray for the things that are going to lead to uh, things in people's life? So Paul prays for two specific things, and then in order that, these things might happen. So you could read it this way. I'm praying for strength in the inner man and for dwelling of Christ in your hearts, being rooted and grounded in love, in order that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and depth and length and height, all of those different dimensions. So the first purpose of Paul's petition involves comprehending or knowing the love of Christ. And he says it's the love of Christ which passes knowledge. The love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now, how can we know and comprehend something that passes knowledge? And you kind of think, well, is Paul, what's wrong with Paul here? He's praying for comprehension and knowing something that he says passes knowledge. It's something you can't understand. It's something you'll never understand. But Paul says, I'm praying that you'll understand it, that you'll comprehend it, that not only that you'll comprehend it, but you'll comprehend it in such a way that you know the detailed dimensions of it. In that in that kind of interesting, it's kind of saying saying both things. But the answer lies in understanding really more about what Paul is saying in those preceding verses, in the, the root things that he's praying for. But the key word to this whole thing is in the beginning of verse 18 where he says that they may be able to comprehend, that word able, because the natural man cannot understand spiritual things because they're spiritually discerned. So for, for those who are unbelievers, for those who are not God's people, um, we can preach the gospel until we're blue in the face. Uh, and if God doesn't give them spiritual enlightenment, they're not going to understand it. They're not going to be able to see Christ for who he is. They're not going to understand the truth of the gospel. And those things are spiritually discerned. So they're beyond knowledge. They take a spiritual understanding. They are spiritually discerned. So John Gill says in his commentary about this, he says, The natural man cannot comprehend the love of Christ and knows nothing of it. So the natural man, apart from the indwelling that he's talked about and that spiritual strength in the inner man and that indwelling of Christ, knows nothing of the love of Christ. However, the believer who has been born again, who has been regenerated and converted to faith in Christ and repentance from sin, has been blessed with eyes to see and ears to hear. That's in Matthew 13, 16, and I should be able to quote that one. That's one of my favorites, but I'm afraid I'll misquote it, so I'm going to turn over there. In Matthew 13, verse 16, we read, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So our our eyes and ears must be opened by a spiritual ability that comes only through the immediate regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, immediate doesn't mean right away. It means without means. Um, our people, some of our people get accused a lot of believing in immediate regeneration. I don't believe in that. I believe that um, the gospel has has not, there's no power in the gospel to give you spiritual life. Uh, the Holy Spirit does that apart from means, apart from the use of any means. The Holy Spirit gives life just the same way that God created the world when He said, Let there be light did he use any means in that no he spoke it into existence so i believe that that happens in the same way but then i think also very important is then we hear the gospel and we're able to respond to the gospel we're able to comprehend the love of christ we have the ability that spiritual ability that comes only through immediate regeneration to come to christ and i think that's also very important that doesn't need to be thrown away either so The believer is strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man, and Christ dwells in the heart by faith. So the purpose of Paul's prayer is that believers would grow in and understand more clearly the love of Christ. And that's accomplished through the work of the Spirit uh, in us and through the indwelling of Christ in our hearts by faith. And it's not merely a head knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge that grows and I think this word is key and is progressively seeing more and more of the eternal dimensions of the love of Christ. Back in our text, I think that's why Paul included that was to say this is not talking about in some general sense that we have some maybe notion of the love of God that is, you know, different. But when he says this, he says, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length, and depth, and height. So, you know, if you're uh, doing a project at your house and and you're going to go order some stuff to put in your house, what's a smart thing to do before you leave and go to Lowe's? You know, we don't always do this. (laughs) But what would be a smart thing to do? A smart thing to do would be get a tape measure out and say, okay, what size does it need to be? (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to be making more than one trip, right? So Paul is saying... I'm not talking about some nebulous concept of God, right? That's not not what Paul wants for the believers. He said, I want you to know detail. I want you to know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, all the different aspects of the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. It's something that's beyond understanding, but I want you to be progressively seeing more and more and more of the eternal dimensions of the love of Christ. So, go back to our picture that Paul painted about the tree and about being rooted. So, as the roots of faith dig deeper and deeper into the love of Christ, if we see more and more the love of Christ, then the branches go higher and higher and higher, and we begin to see the reality of a future glorification and conformity to Christ. We see Him more clearly. So, it's not that we see Christ for the first time, that's not what Paul's praying for. He says, you're believers, you, you, you know Christ, you see Christ. I want you to see more and more and more about the love of Christ. And the interesting part about that, and this is what I wrote in my, my um, article on this passage, if you spent from right now until the end of your life doing nothing else but reading your Bible and studying and praying and just really trying to understand all the aspects of the love of God, you wouldn't scratch the surface it wouldn't matter if you spent your entire life from the time you were born until the time you died, 100 years, 110 years. You would never scratch the surface of the love. There's always room to grow in this life in understanding the eternal dimensions of the love of Christ. Uh, we would never We're never going to run out of different ways to see and different aspects to see of the love of God in our life. So Paul is praying that God would grant strength in the inner man, and the presence of Christ in the heart, and that all believers, as they continue to view more and more of this love that passes knowledge, uh, when that's what he's praying for, is that they would grow more progressively, see more and more and more of Christ uh, in their life, that so they would be able to see who Christ is and the love of God in a new way. He reminds me of uh, 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God if you just got up every morning and thought about that verse so I'm gonna I'm gonna think about it. I'm gonna behold what manner of love that God had that he gave his only begotten son for sinners just that thought you'll never run out of things <laughs> to think about and be amazed in about the love of Christ what an amazing thing that is and then last our last point and we'll close with this um, is filled with the fullness of God so We had our two requests. The first purpose is that they're able to comprehend or know the love of Christ. And then the last uh, purpose of this is that they would be filled with the fullness of God. So the second purpose is that the Ephesian believers might be filled with all the fullness of God. So what does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? So we can start out, and I think it's very helpful to do this, we can start out by ruling out what it doesn't mean. So what it doesn't mean is complete conformity to Christ. So being filled with the fullness of God is not that I become like Christ. Uh, As we've already stated in this message, that's not what happens um, in this life. We're not conformed completely to his image here. That's something that's going to happen one day. Uh, In glorification, we'll be made like him. We'll see him as he is. But that doesn't happen here. So it doesn't mean complete conformity to Christ. It doesn't mean reaching a state of sinless perfection. I think that one's pretty obvious, at least it is to me. I think it would probably be to you too, that we don't read a, a, reach a state of sinless perfection in this life. i proved that one too many times in my own life. Or a perfect understanding of the divine nature, a complete understanding of who God is. Um, we, that's like I said, we could study from now until the time we die. We would never have a complete understanding of who God is. By the way, that's why he's God. It's because we can't understand him. If, if, if you could understand all there was to know about God, he wouldn't be God. Uh, so that's, not, that's the things that it doesn't mean. So uh, in this context, here's what I think Paul is after. He says that you understand the love of Christ. I I'm praying that you have strength and that you have this indwelling presence of God so that you're able to comprehend the love of Christ More and more and more, you're seeing the length and the depth and the height and all of those different aspects. You're growing more and more in this understanding of the love of Christ. And I think what this passage is, he says, and that applies to your life. And that more and more and more, you're filled with the fullness of God. So the more that you comprehend, the more that you understand about who Christ is, the more you see of his love, it begins to fill your life. And you see that in your life, that you become filled with this knowledge and it affects all the different aspects of your life, as we talked about sooner. I'm not going to go back uh, to that again, but you know those different areas of our life. So what are some of those areas? Well, your relationships. That should be something that is filled with the love of Christ in your life is your relationships, your career, your family, your finances, your life in the church, all of these different areas of our life that we might be filled with the fullness of God because of the comprehension of the love of Christ that Paul is praying for uh, in the first purpose. So what then is the fullness of God? Well, the fullness of God is found in Jesus Christ. So what he's really praying for here is that the love of Christ, that Jesus Christ would have influence and impact on all the different areas of our life, that we'd be filled with this fullness of God in found in Jesus Christ and experienced through faith. I told you I was coming back to that. It's experience through faith. So if you really wanted to boil it down, he's saying, I'm praying that your faith will impact all the different areas of your life, that you would be filled with the knowledge, and not only that, but impactful in the way that you carry that out through faith, so that your life is a life of faith. So then we ask this question, what would our lives look like if every area of our lives were filled with the influence of the love of christ i don't know about you but my life would probably look different and that's not something to say proudly that's something we need to as as paul (coughs) is praying for the ephesians something we need to try to fulfill in our life to look more and more like christ so that every area of our life would be filled with all (coughs) the fullness of god now in closing I'm just going to read this. This is kind of a summary statement of everything that Paul is saying. So this kind of summarizes the whole message. And I don't like to do this very often because then people say, well, you should have just said that in the beginning. But hopefully you'll think about some of the things we talked about. May the Father grant believers today strength in the inner man by the Spirit and the indwelling presence of Christ by faith in order that they may comprehend the love of Christ that passes knowledge and be filled in every area of their life with the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. I think that's Paul's prayer. And I think it's, it's something that would be very beneficial for us today and something we ought to pray for one another. So I, I, I pray that we would see that in the lives of our church members here at Providence. Hope those things have been a blessing to you today.